0: Hey everyone, um, it's been a while since I started this, uh, sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, and this particular verse, um... Is not going to be very comfortable for me to preach, and I don't think that it's going to be, uh, I have anxiety about it, but I try to steer clear of this, uh, topic as much as I can, and the reason for that, especially when I'm preaching, is because every single person has some sort of an opinion in regards to, uh, the things I'm going to be talking about, including myself. And one thing that I never want to do is to take away God's message and try to insert my own. I don't ever want to take my words and replace God's with my words. I prayed a lot about this. I read no less than 20 commentaries on this particular verse. And the message that God gave me has been the same consistently through all of these things. And that's what I'm gonna deliver today. And it's not comfortable, it's not easy, but it's something that I think uh, needs to be said, especially in the times that we're living in. And uh, hopefully, I prayed a lot about this beforehand. That's one of the reasons why it took me so long to uh, start doing this. I had to find enough uh, Bible verses to where I was satisfied that, uh, there was enough biblical evidence to support this. I had to pray about it and I wanted to make sure that this, this was actually something that, uh, God was calling me to do. And here I am, I've come to the conclusion that it is, and I've come to the conclusion that it is important, not just for, um, you know, America or the world as a whole, but for myself and for um, just a a general understanding of uh, some of the things that are a little bit more difficult to talk about in a biblical context without uh, all the excess um, opinion thrown in there. So I'm going to do my best. The verse is... In uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, it's blessed are the meek, uh, for they shall inherit the earth. And in Aristotle's ethics, um, he describes the term meekness, not as somebody who is weak, not as somebody who's uh, like... A pushover, not as somebody who's kind of wishy-washy and just goes with the flow. His version, which is probably the one that um, Jesus would have been thinking of, which was the common usage at the time of Aristotle, which was uh, around the time that Jesus was um, Jesus's ministry. It would still be um, the prevalent idea of what meekness was to them also and it says that it is the character of one who has passion of resentment under control and was therefore tranquil and untroubled what this means is not that somebody's a pushover but that they have total mastery over their uh lesser nature of their resentfulness of their anger of those things that uh tend to get us in trouble and This is something that is not, um, I think when people think of meekness, they think of somebody just um, rolling over, somebody just uh, not really having an opinion of their own, but that's not the case here. The case here is somebody who has such an understanding of themselves, such a deep understanding of their character and a deep understanding of what it's like to um, live a godly life. Somebody who is able to see the bad and the good as being gifts from God. They're the person that is meek, and this comes in this part of the Beatitudes because all of the all of the Beatitudes build on each other. This is a place that you get to. When you can see yourself for who you truly are, you can allow others to see you who you truly are. And you can see that every single thing that affects us is something that's going to benefit us at the end of the day. That God works everything for the good of those who love him. And in... Our society, a lot of times we know what's right, what's wrong, and we try to manipulate the system in order to achieve those ends. We look to somebody who is in power. We look to somebody who has uh, stamina, somebody who's going to take control and somebody who's going to lead the way. And this is the opposite view of what this beatitude is Speaking about this is a the opposite view of what this is actually saying, and uh, this in Scripture is backed up by the fact that when uh, not long uh, in the Jesus's ministry in the Book of John, it talks about in chapter six. Verses 14 through 16, after he preached, uh, it says that after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And what this is describing is when Israel was waiting for a Messiah, they were thinking of somebody who was going to take Rome and remove them take all of the rulers away from uh, Israel so that they can govern themselves. All of their ideas of what the Messiah was were political. All the ideas of what they pictured Jesus to be like were similar to what they would have thought King David to be like, like a a politician. And they thought that somebody was going to have an uprising. They were going to take out. Rome take over, and that they were going to lead Israel into victory. But this is not what God had in mind. And we can see that because we know what happened. We know where, uh, what happened with Jesus, what Jesus did to secure our salvation, what Jesus chose to do to become king instead of what they expected him to do. Nobody was expecting Jesus to die on the cross. That was something so shameful that everybody looked on it with scorn. Not just the Israelites, but the Romans themselves looked at it as something to be ashamed of. Only the worst kinds of criminals were hung on a cross. So when they were picturing Jesus as the Messiah, they were picturing a conquering uh, politician taking over uh Getting rid of the old party and bringing their party into authority and everybody who was right would be right along with the leader. But that's not what God intended for us. And that's not what God intended for Jesus. And the reason is is because when we think of politicians and we think of our rulers, they are man. They represent values that do transcend uh, humanity, but they're the way that they carry out those values is skewed by humanity. The only way that Jesus could ever be a king or a ruler is by being godly, by being God incarnate. That's the only person that we need to model our lives after is God. God is the ultimate authority. Everybody else is placed under his hand to either be set up or torn down. They're all part of humanity and nobody is above God in that regard. And I think, I, I know growing up, I used to always hear people say, you can talk about anything, just don't talk about politics or religion. And every time somebody would say something like that, it always intertwines the ideas of politics and religion. And I think that that's been so ingrained in my uh, my childhood and my parents' childhood that they've become somewhat synonymous with each other. And we've gotten to a place now where that's kind of coming to its head Kind of coming to a place where um, it's something that's uh, that it's brought to its logical conclusion. And I think that's a dangerous place to be in. That's a place where I don't think that God would intend us to be. To fuse our political leaders with our religious beliefs, with our... Uh, relationship with christ and one of those reasons is is that there's two political parties three or more if you follow those uh independent parties and everything but in essence we have a two-party uh democracy we have a two-party system and it was designed that way for a purpose and on one hand of course is democrats the other hand republicans And it does not matter which side you're on, because both have kernels of biblical values in them. Both parties have things in their structure that are godly. Both have things in their structure that are secular, things that are only man-made, and things that God probably doesn't care too much about, and... The reason that we, it, it can be a dangerous place is we put all of our eggs in one basket, so to speak. Instead of uh, applying the values to our lives, we apply a party to our character so that people can know the values that we um, support. And this is, in essence, what the two-party system was set up for. But the parties have changed over time, and the values have changed over time, and the values have crossed over and swapped over time. And political parties have taken over for other political parties, and it's no longer um, as cut and dry as it might have been in the beginning, which any anybody that knows about American history, it was never cut and dry. On paper, it might have been, but it was never uh It was never that easy to distinguish. And one of the things that um, I really wanted to address is that not only have we taken politics to um, align with our values as Christians, but we've taken it to where we base all of our decisions based on what our political leanings are. And for one thing that are, that the one thing that really bothers me about this is when it comes to healthcare, because healthcare has nothing to do with politics. Politicians put their hands in it, but it has nothing to do with them. And I can say with 100% certainty that I personally can count with more than one hand the people that I know that have uh, been lost to COVID. And the only other thing that I can do that with is cancer. And it's tragic to see people um, risking their lives, not just on... um, abiding by what their political party says, but doing things that are dangerous just to spite the opposite one. And I don't understand it um, personally, but I know that it's a dangerous place to be in. And one that I know that um, is not biblical. And the fact that we... Bicker back and forth is something that was talked about from the very beginning of Christianity. When Paul was preaching uh, to these churches, this was during a time where there was one political party that was the Emperor of Rome. He was the authority on anything that happened to anybody under their rule. They didn't even have to be Roman citizens. In fact, it was worse if they weren't Roman citizens, because they had zero sway. They had zero clout. They had zero reason to open their mouths in protest to anything. And the fact that the emperor that was in charge during the time of most of Paul's ministry and the ministry of uh, John the Revelator in the book of Revelations— was one of the most ruthless and harsh persecutors of Christians probably ever. And the fact that Paul was risking his life daily to spread the gospel speaks not only to the power of the message, but to the perseverance of the saints during this time. And when I watch the news and I hear people talk about persecution and, oh, I had, I wasn't allowed to make, I, I refused to make a cake for somebody and somebody uh, said some mean things to me about it. That's not persecution. There are people that are losing their heads, losing their lives. People that were in Paul's time, Emperor Nero, used to take Christians, burn them at the stake and use them as streetlights for the chariots going down the road at night. Anybody that they even suspected of being a Christian was thrown in the den of lions. But one of the things that's even more uh, important than that, um, one of the things that's more powerful than that is the fact that when one person would get thrown into the lions, about 10 more Christians would jump in after him, willing to to be martyrs for their their cause. And even though I hear a lot of people talk about they're being persecuted for their Christian beliefs in the United States, uh, most of the time, these are petty things. I have not seen somebody in recent years in the United States that was uh, crucified or burnt at the stake or... uh, Hung or beaten in the streets or dragged behind a car or anything like that, anything that they would have done in the time that Paul was preaching, none of that have I seen the government do ever. And so when I hear Christians talking about persecution. I mean, in a way, I, the society is becoming more secular in some aspects. But in some areas, Christianity is really flourishing. But it's not flourishing in the way that it should be. Christian uh, imagery, Christian ideology and in, in the way that it's presented almost looks more like a political movement than a truly revolutionary uh, Christian experience, like the, the waves of people getting saved in Paul's day, the thousands of people that got saved by hearing Peter preach. These are things that are huge moves of God, and they're not too far from us, but we tend to look towards the leader. We tend to look towards the politician. We tend to look towards the law. We tend to look towards the Supreme Courts to bring about what we want to happen. But the thing is, is some of these things that we want to uh, have happen, like um, depending on your stance on certain topics, the law can only go so far. The law can tell you what's right and wrong. They can punish people for doing it, but it's not going to change the motives behind that. That can only come through us. That can only come through the church being the church. People being faithful to Christ. People showing the world who Jesus is. Not who this politician is. Not who that politician is. But who Jesus is. That's the only way that we can change this world. It's not going to be through some political statement. The When we think of the idea of the separation of church and state, we think of, oh, well, that's the atheist's excuse to take God out of schools. No. the origin, The original intent behind that idea of the separation of church and state was so that the government could never interfere with God's people. The government could never have any hold over the laws that Christ gave us himself. The government could not tell the church the way that it should behave. It wasn't answerable to an authority. This country in part was founded on things like that. That when we came here, it was a freedom from a religious Uh, theocracy, a governmental religion. So the fact that we've reverted back to that is kind of distressing in being that we basically came to this country to escape the idea of our political leaders having any control over our churches. Yet, There are certain denominations of churches as we speak that are literally tearing themselves apart because of politics. Because of not being able to represent a political party in their churches. There's a pastor right now that's turning his congregation away because a politician told him an idea of health care that he found to be ungodly when in all actuality if you look back at any time in history that we've had a pandemic or any time in history when there's been an outbreak of a plague or a disease these are the same things that have uh taken place every time in the 1918 spanish influenza outbreak the regulations that they put in place in the places that had regulations and didn't mostly lose their whole populations, their suggestions by their uh, medical professionals was to keep your distance, wear a mask, close down any gatherings, no matter what they were, to avoid travel avoid large groups of people, and not to spit or sneeze without covering your face. These were all things that were in place in these different pandemics. And to think that this is just some sort of a conspiracy to wipe us all out, to silence Christianity is is political rhetoric. It's not Christian... Basis in uh, the 1500s, when Martin Luther um, was around, there was a plague, and he was questioned about this, and he said that the Christian thing to do would be to wash your hands, maintain safe distance, don't go around people if you're sick, and he he did this. In response to people who were saying that it was some sort of a religious uh, takeover, that if you're going to trust medicine, then you're going to – then you're not having faith in God. But what Martin Luther said in response was that this is not having faith in God to turn away medicines, to turn away vaccines, which he also – Uh, he didn't mention vaccines, but he did mention medications to, uh, stop the plague and doctors. He said, this is not a, um, this isn't having faith in God, but it is rather testing God. And as we know from when Jesus was fasting for the 40 days in the wilderness and Satan was tempting him, one of the things that he says is you shall not tempt the Lord, your God. He was quoting scripture. It's scripture not to tempt God. If you stand in the middle of the road you, and you have all the faith in the world that God's going to protect you from getting hit by a vehicle, It's not. that's not having faith in him. That's putting pressure on him to do something that may not even be in his will to begin with. To say that you don't have enough faith because you trust God the doctors and scientists that God has put on this earth is to slap him in the face and say, uh, okay, just save my life. And I'm not saying that God can't protect us. I'm not saying that God won't protect us. I'm saying that these may be answers to the protection prayers that we've prayed. That This is not something new. This is not something that's just coming about now that's never happened before. This is something that people have dealt with and have dealt with in a really terrible way. And I feel like we're kind of resurrecting some of those mistakes today. And I don't think that it's something that God would approve of. I don't think that it's something that God does approve of. I don't think that God would want us to turn away any brother or sister because of their beliefs in masks or preventative medicine or anything like that. I don't think that we should be experimenting with crazy stuff just because we are distrustful of a particular government organization that has no uh, bearing on the scientists in the lab or the doctors that administer medications. And I know people will probably agree with, disagree with this, but facts are facts. And um, one of the things that bothers me the most about this whole thing, I mean, other than the fact that numerous people are dying of something that could completely be prevented is the fact that the church is so divided on this. This is not a Christian doctrine. There's nowhere in the Bible that says don't get a vaccine. There's nowhere in the Bible that says don't wear a mask. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that to if you get sick, that you should probably go spread it about around a bunch, bunch of people. The Bible never says any of these things, but we take them to be biblical because they're political. We take a politician's idea, and because we believe that they represent a certain uh, uh, truth, a certain Christian identity, that we have to blindly believe everything they say is to completely deny Scripture, to completely go against what Christ says. When Paul had preached in the different uh, churches— there was one church in particular that Paul wrote to, and I don't think I have this in my uh, scripture notes, but they were arguing over who was the better Christian because of who baptized them, because of who taught them the message, Paul, Peter, or Apollos. And they said they had arguments with each other. Oh, I'm, I'm an apostle of Apollos. I'm a, an apostle of Paul. I'm an a, a, apostle of uh, Peter. But Paul let them know that that's not—he's not the leader. Jesus is. Every Christian is to follow Jesus. Not Paul, not Apollos, not Peter. Not uh, some politician or some other politician. That's not who our faith should reside in. And when we rely on a human entity instead of Christ— we're setting ourselves up in a place of pride. We're trying to take our identity, place it into a fighting force or a organization, and turn the world by force to our way of thinking, or by law to our way of thinking. And this did not work in the Crusades. This did not work at any point in time, and it never will. And that's why Jesus vehemently denied this. He would not even himself be put in a position to where he was a man-appointed political leader because he knew how dangerous that would be. Even if God himself were that man-made political leader, his message would get lost and it would become skewed, which is what happens with... Political rhetoric. Yeah, the politician can go up there and talk about God all day long, but that doesn't mean he's a messenger from God. He can talk about church all he wants. He can hold as many Bibles as he wants. He can tell you the particular church and denomination that he comes from, but that does not make him an ambassador of Christ. This is probably completely surprising because... Uh, um, I would be skeptical hearing this myself, but a lot, pretty much every politician undergoes a psychiatric evaluation of sorts. And they are interviewed by psychiatrists, and psychiatrists have found that most, every politician has the. Uh, criteria They fit the criteria for a psychopath. That every politician, pretty much, and political candidate has psychopathy. And in a leader, a man-made leader, this is a good thing. Because they don't have the ability really to uh, care enough about others to refuse to make a snap, rash decision. They don't have the empathy to um, think twice about a decision that may get people killed. And while this is uh, good in a wartime situation, it's good in certain situations, this is not indicative of the idea that Christ had for his people. And... I'm not saying that people who are psychopathic or have this uh condition can't follow Christ because that's not the case. I'm certain that anybody regardless of their uh mental well-being has the capacity to embrace Christ in in different ways. Um Having Asperger's syndrome, I relate to God probably different than other people do. But I still relate to God and I'm still able to be saved. Even though I may have had to jump through some, ho- some hoops to do it. It did not stop me from a relationship with Christ. And it actually built my relationship with Christ by me being able to experience Christ in the way that I do. And... The most important thing about this is that when we divide ourselves from each other, um, it causes a lot of problems. It brings us into a place where we start to focus more on ourselves than on Jesus. Uh, When we try to take the reins and we try to Um, say this side is best, this side is best, we get into a place where we start to disagree with each other. And the disagreement with each other outweighs our devotion to Jesus, which, like I was saying before, a lot of times people aren't even um, following their political party and listening to their ideas because they actually like that party but rather so that they could spite the other one. And this leaves devastation on both sides because um, that's not the correct way to go about things. Um, In Paul's uh, own words, he says that so i can find it again he says that we're saved in order to do good he says remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities to be obedient to be ready to do whatever is good to slander no one to be peaceable and considerate and always be gentle toward everyone at one time we too were foolish disobedient deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us, generously through Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. So basically what Paul is saying is the meek shall inherit the earth. Those who have turned from slander and anger and divides and divisions have—that is what's going to make things change. Jesus has promised us that we will inherit the earth But not through man-made powers, not through political powers, not through um, hatred, not through discord, not through anger, not through strife, not through arguing. These things are not going to bring about change in the world. We can set every law that we choose to. We can oppose every force that we choose to. But that's not going to bring about change, not the kind of change that we want. We can say things like, uh, um, in Texas, they just passed an abortion bill that, um, stops abortions at as soon as six weeks, whenever a heartbeat is detected in the fetus. And I, like I said, there are, uh, godly ideals on both sides of the political divide. And, uh, This happens to be one that I am passionate about, even if there's other ones that I disagree with in uh, the different political parties. I don't consider myself to have a political um, place, but I do have certain ideas that I do like to see, um, that I do care about. And this happens to be one of them. And as, as much as this seems good, as much as this seems like a great thing, that, you know, babies are given a chance to live a life on this earth because every life is precious, this is not the way to go about it. By lawmaking and... It doesn't solve the problem, it just... Uh, alleviate some of the symptoms until they present themselves in other ways. And as much as it pains me to say that, as much as it, I want there to be a victory somewhere, I, as much as I want there to be some sort of a, um, as, as much as I hate to think of um, somebody not being able to live on this earth because of a, disability or something like that is uh, tragic um to think that that may not happen but the law is not going to make this right the law is just going to make this change it's either going to push them to uh political extremes to where uh, they use laws to pass in other places that make it worse or they're going to throw it out of court and it's going to go back to square one. The problem is not in our application of law. The thing is, is that we're not, uh, living our lives in a way that make it to where others would choose to do what's godly. When I hear Christians talking about, uh, homosexuality and putting it down and, and talking bad about people. And then they're out there getting drunk Friday, Saturday, going to church on Sunday, talking about how much they hate homosexuals. And then Monday they go to work and start talking about their political views. And then, uh, Tuesday they go out to the strip club, whatever it may be. I'd, I get angry when I see people taking certain parts of Scripture and placing them higher than everything else and saying that this is the epitome of evil. This is the worst thing in the world. Everybody focus on this. Don't look at what I'm doing. Just look at this. And it kind of makes me think of, uh, there's a. I'm um, trying to think of what, it, what it's called... Uh, uh, and he, there's a song by Genesis where he's basically saying that, you know, uh, I've been talking to Jesus and he knows I'm right. Basically saying that, don't worry about the Bible, don't worry about what Christianity says, just look at me. And I think we've kind of taken that idea and pasted that onto a political image, onto a particular political party. And I'm not saying it's one or the other. I'm saying it's both. The idea of putting your faith in government is uh, not a scriptural idea. When Jesus was asked about this, whether they should pay taxes— He says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and God what is God's. And everything is God's, even Caesar. And the fact that we have a political face on our money or our ideas, the fact that there is a political party in play, no matter who it is, they don't take precedent over God. That if there's something that is... Uh, good and we do it there's no law against that it says um, when it's talking about the fruits of the spirit in uh, the book of Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 through 23 it says but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control against such things there is no law If you do the things that Christ wants, you're doing the right thing. If you do what is asked of you in in Christ, you're doing the right thing. So to take a um, political speech and watch that instead of your daily Bible reading, you're doing a huge injustice to yourself. And... The spirit of God doesn't move by a political force. It moves through Christ and the gospel. And Jesus himself, before he was crucified in John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23, it's apparent what Jesus thinks of the body of Christ. It's apparent what he thinks of us and how we should carry ourselves In the fact that he starts to pray for us. And the prayer that he prays. All of the prayers he he prayed are about unity. This one I, I picked in particular. It says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that... The world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be as one as we are one, I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know you sent me, and have loved them even as you have loved me. This idea is basically saying that in order for the world to know, that we belong to Christ, is we have to act like Christ. In order for them to know who Christ is, we can't be divided. We can't be fighting one another because this isn't the way that Jesus is. When we read about uh, Jesus' life, when we read about the um, attributes of God, none of them are divisive. None of them can exist in uh, opposition to itself. God is not opposed to himself. In fact, when Jesus is talking in uh, the scriptures, he says to the Pharisees that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. That Satan can't drive out Satan because it would tear his kingdom apart. You cannot be uh, against yourself and still be able to fully function. A fractured church denomination or a fractured congregation cannot reflect the love of God until they've settled their differences. There's another part um, in the Sermon on the Mount that... Um, that I'm going to get to where it talks about um, how if one brother has a complaint against the other, they need to solve that before they go to the altar because they cannot bring a pleasing sacrifice to God until they've stopped bickering with each other. And this is something that is important for us today because there's a lot of people out there talking there's a lot of people out there saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, and you, and usually it's followed up by a bunch of insults, and the other side, but you, and then they argue back and forth, and it's a, it creates a schism in the church. And I think at this point in time, the church has kind of become uh, splintered in a way. That we're starting to separate from each other in a way that is unhealthy and unnecessary. And it has saddened me to... I have purchased a lot of uh, Christian books and stuff. And I get the catalogs and stuff at my house sometimes. And every time I open it up, it gets more and more depressing. Because as I look through the pages where there used to be um, commentaries, scholarly works, uh, different church fathers and uh, Bibles. Now it's replaced with things like um, the president. Um, why the church needs to stop being so liberal or why the church needs to stop being so conservative or why are they trying to steal our America? These are not biblical things. These are not Christian books. These are political. They belong elsewhere. Everything should be should be rooted in our love for Christ. Christ should be the glasses with which we see the world through. Uh, C.S. Lewis said he said that he believes in Christianity. Not because he can see it, but because through it, he can see everything else. And that's the way that we need to have uh, our idea of faith. But sometimes we take it to an extreme. Sometimes we say that because somebody that we like said something, it's got to be biblical. Because I didn't get the heebie-jeebies when they said it. It must be a good thing. Because I didn't feel the pain and suffering in my heart of the Holy Spirit, then I must have found something worthwhile. But the thing is, is when we put our faith in stuff like that, uh, we drive a wedge between ourselves and God. We're trying to find a mediator that's not Christ when Christ is the only mediator that we need and the only mediator that matters. And when we act in this way, we act prideful as though we don't need God. We may phrase it different ways, but rhetoric can take anything and make it look like something else. That's why Satan's so good at using it. That's why he could tell Adam and Eve, uh, you'll be like God if you take a bite of this, knowing full well that we were already made in his image. Or how Satan was tempting Christ and said, I can give you this entire kingdom if you just throw yourself down. And all of that already belonged to Christ. Satan uses tools to try to trick us into wanting something we already have. And he does it through rhetoric. Things that sound nice, but aren't right. He makes half-truths sound like full-truths. And... More like wholesale truth. And when he does this, we fall. We fall for it. Because at the end of the day, we're all just waiting to get that thing that makes us feel like God. Yeah, if our political party's in charge, we're in charge. We make the rules. We're the ones that elect those people. But in Proverbs 29, 23, it says, Pride brings a person low but the lowly in spirit gain honor. If we are humbly walking through this life, if we don't pay attention to the politics, to the uh, powerhouses, and we start living like Christ, and we start to show the world what the love of Christ looks like, if we reach out our hands to our neighbors and start to show them who Christ is, that's going to change the world. Not some law, not some politician. Those things don't matter in the grand scheme of things. We need to have a heart that's on fire for God. We need to have a life that is bent to his will. And we need to have a passion to carry that will out every moment of our lives. Of course, politics is important to everyday life. Of course, it is something that is worth discussing. But it is not Christ. It is not God, and it is not the gospel. It is not the end all be all of faith. It is not where we need to be putting our trust. It's not where we should be calling something infallible. I have heard people say on both sides of this uh, political divide that if you are of the opposing political party, you cannot possibly be a Christian. I've heard them say that anything that you say against their particular political views, they strike it down as a lie no matter how much evidence there is for it. If we take something and we put it in the place of God and say that it's infallible, we're throwing out the most important parts of Scripture because God says definitely don't do that. When we've gone through periods as uh, Christians, as uh, people of God as a whole, we've a lot of times turned away from God and turned to idols instead. This is something that's been uh, talked about from the Old Testament to the New Testament, yet we still do it. God said, thou shalt have no other gods before me, and then we make one. Or we follow one just because he has a seat in the White House. Or because he represents the... uh, party that we happen to follow and it doesn't matter what the person says the fact that they wear the banner of our beloved politician of our political parties we just fall in line and listen and that is a very unhealthy way to live especially when as I said before the person that you're listening to is most likely a psychopath and It's in those instances where we do find that there's something we're passionate about, that there is a certain uh, value that we hold dear, something that we do want to aggressively fight for, that we do get angry about, we're reminded yet again by Paul. He says uh, in Romans 12, verse 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. In those instances where uh, we are living uh, humbly, and we do suffer persecution or martyrdom, it is explicitly stated in Scripture that we won't be uh, put to shame, that we won't be uh, forgotten about, that we won't be shoved aside. God is always going to be the one that will avenge us. We may have to wait. It may not happen in this lifetime. We may not be able to see it, but it will happen, and we need to put our faith in God And what he is going to do rather than what we want to do and try to make it happen through legal systems or political uh, parties. And when it talks about who should, who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven was a question that was asked of Jesus. And Jesus didn't respond with, oh, if you're a Democrat or a Republican or something else entirely, then you will be the uh, greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He said, who, they said, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. He said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like this little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And I can say with 100% certainty that politics and different things that we focus on, kids do not focus on those things. A funny thing, um, my son, he's six and we don't talk about race or anything like that. Um, we don't talk about different ideas. Um, he probably has heard some political talk. But when we had a birthday party party for him and uh, we had a Star Wars party and when we were planning the party out, we had all these ideas we ended up making uh lightsabers out of uh pool noodles and uh all kinds of stuff like that well my son he said that he wanted to be um a particular character and he's like daddy you can be uh mace windu and the character mace windu is played by samuel L. jackson And he said that I could be Mace Windu because I looked like him because we both are bald. And so my son notices that I'm bald and he's bald, but he doesn't notice anything else. And I really would rather him to stay that way because I think that's, uh, once we start to introduce other ideas, it kind of uh, drives that wedge in between each other. And I know growing up, I grew up in uh, a place where it was a huge melting pot of people. And I never uh, had really encountered a whole lot of racism until I was older. So by the time I did see that it existed, I was completely shocked. Because it was so contradictory to what I knew that I just could not imagine... That people really felt that way. And I couldn't imagine why they could feel that way. And, but I'm, children don't go through life with those ideas in their head. They're put there later on. And I know now that's what it was. Some of those people are so deeply ingrained and have that ingrained into their head from a young age. That's how they see the world by the time they're an adult whereas I had the opposite. I didn't have that put into my head at an early age. And when I did see it, uh, whatever I heard after that was already colored by what I had felt in my experiences. And all of these things are tools of Satan. They're things that he uses to divide us. Because he knows if we're divided that we can't, maintain a uh, close relationship with God um, in C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. he um, I can't quote it for word for word. It's been so while since I read it, it too. Um, but he talks about when one of the main goals of the demon should be to get him to notice his neighbors. Either... Look at them as being better than him or being worse than him. Just make sure that he's focused entirely on the person next to him. And this is something that Satan uses. C.S. Lewis says at the beginning of the thing that none of those things should be taken as truth because Satan's uh, native tongue is truth or is lies So even in the things where it seems like the demons are being truthful, they could in all actuality be lying. But this is something that in scripture we can see Satan doing to divide people, to uh, set somebody else up as being better than somebody else. And he takes uh, our pride and he uses that to twist us into thinking less of somebody else or thinking more of somebody else and pushing us to think of nothing else but to put them back in their place and I think that Satan uses pride as a weapon because that's his nature that was what brought him to shame that's what brought him to sin was his pride and it's As I said, there's not really anything that uh, we can accomplish from hating one another. There's nothing we can accomplish from putting each other down. There's nothing that we can accomplish through human might that is going to be pleasing to Christ. Everything has to be us living in full submission to Christ. That's the only way that the world's going to change. When they see people acting like Jesus, they're going to know who Jesus is. When we start acting like uh, Satan and then tell everybody that we're Christians, they become kind of put off by Christianity. Not because Christ is that way, but because we are. And I've interacted with enough atheists in my life to know that that is one of their main complaints about Christians is that they want to talk about who Jesus is, but they never want to follow through with what he said. They want to put down everybody else for not following Christ, for, for taking part in certain sins, and then they take part in ten more. And in uh, Paul says, do not be overcome by evil, but become overcome evil with good. And this is probably the basis for what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said when he said, uh, darkness does not drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hatred does not drive out hatred, only love can do that. When we love people the way that Jesus loves us, it's going to solve all of these problems social problems, all of this injustice stuff, everything that is plaguing our world, if we would all just turn to Christ, if we would all just live the way that Christ called us to live, if we would all just put aside our pride, put our faith in God and not our government, then we will be able to come to a place where we can start to see change when we start loving our neighbors ourselves, when we start doing the things that Jesus said, when we start to love instead of ridicule, that's when we're going to see change. You can't make it happen by throwing it in a ballot box. You can only make it happen by putting your whole life in Christ's hands and allowing him to change it in whatever way he needs to. To show the world who Jesus is, not who we are. To show the world that it's Jesus that we follow, not some guy on TV, not some guy in politics, not some uh, pastor with some idea. No. We're following Christ. And as long as we sit here and we debate things that are irrelevant to Christianity, when we go and we take ideas that are not Christian and try to push them onto uh, religious ideas and we kind of interweave the two, we come to a place that is unrecognizable to what Jesus would have wanted. When I see people that are wearing crosses, that are preaching the gospel that are saying that they're preachers and ministers and Christians and they have giant crosses emblazoned upon their jackets, and then they go somewhere and then they start beating up people and then they start flashing guns around and then they start trying to take over by force and then they do all these things. That is not what Christ looks like. That's not what Christianity looks like. That's not what Christ would have wanted. And it makes me think every time somebody starts to uh, fuse ideas of uh, like weapons as being a Christian right, there's certain cults that use uh, guns as part of their worship ceremonies because they've so intermingled politics with uh, their religion that they t- the two are inseparable. But I think of when Jesus is being carried off and arrested and Peter cuts off the guard's ear. I think of what Jesus did. He healed the man's ear and he told Peter, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. And then Tupac later came around and changed that to if you live by the gun, you die by the gun. And unfortunately, that is the very thing that happened to him and to think that certain uh, aspects of politics are being put in the place of Christian values. And when people think of Christianity that that's what they're seeing, it hurts my heart to know that this is something that we've done ourselves. We've put ourselves in this position. We've come to a place where we stop reading anymore. We we want to take in all of these. We have so much information at our fingertips. Not all of it is real. Some of it is misinformation, which is accidentally wrong information where somebody supposes something and states it, but then later finds out that it's false, and nobody else ever bothers to look at the revision and just takes... false claim and runs with it or disinformation where people are completely dishonest have an aim to spread dishonest information and their sole purpose is to get people to believe a lie and people believe the lie and the fact that nobody ever looks into these things the fact that nobody ever investigates further the fact that nobody ever really checks the sources to these informa- this information is astounding. And that's part of why we've come to this place. We want to rely on our own understanding. We want to rely on our own resources. We want to rely on the things that we have at our disposal in the way that we have time to process it. When in all actuality, what we need to be doing is going back to our Bibles, going back to Scripture, reading it as it's stated, not the way that somebody else put it, not the way that it's presented in political ads, not the way that it's presented at a political rally, not the way that it's interfused with uh, conspiracy theories and out there, outlandish ideas, but the way that it was written to the people that were listening to it. When we read the Bible... We're not supposed to read into it the things that are happening. We're supposed to look at the world around us and see what God had given us guidance to react to these things. When God used his people to share his message, they were speaking to a particular audience at a particular period in time for a specific purpose that they were facing to understand what the bible is saying we can't just willy-nilly expect that what we think about it is right we have to look at the context see where it was coming from see what they were doing at the time and make it makes light of the whole message when we realize that when paul is talking about take courage have hope uh trust in your authority, Uh, do all these things that Paul is talking about that I've quoted from take place in the time where Christians were most persecuted. When all, with the exception of John the Revelator, were uh, killed brutally, it kind of makes it a little more Uh, impactful. When I see that, and I think, oh yeah, you know, they were walking alongside Jesus. Paul wasn't, but he had an experience with Jesus. He was with the original people that uh, walked with him. He met with believers that had uh, met Jesus face to face, shook his hand probably, all that kind of stuff. And you think, well, well, That's easy. He knows that uh, who Jesus was. And then we think of Rome and we look at the Colosseum and we look at all these beautiful things and we think, oh yeah, they're in the pinnacle of philosophical culture and all this wonderful art and stuff. And you wonder why Paul—no wonder Paul has such a high hope for life, but— if you take a look at the fact that they were being persecuted and murdered and brutally killed on an everyday basis, if somebody was found to be a Christian, they were slaughtered. Sometimes on site or beaten, or used as sport, or used as street lamps. And in this period of time, Paul is telling the Christians to have hope because Christ has a plan, that Christ has a purpose, that Christ will bring everything to the good of those who love him. All of those people knew, all they knew was death, destruction, and chaos. Every time they walked out the door, it could have been the last time. Anytime they walked out of their House and said bye to their family. That could have been the last time they did so. Any time they went to church, they were risking the church being raided and all of them being killed. They knew what was at stake. Paul was a Roman citizen, a Pharisee among Pharisees. He had all this clout, but he did not use it to his advantage. There were people of high uh, report, people of high value, that had sway in different political avenues that became Christians, and they gave it all up. They didn't take it and try to pass laws to make everybody into Christians. That didn't happen until a couple hundred years later, when it became the official religion of Rome. But in this time people were sacrificing they were giving up the the things that they had previously the power that they had previously so that they can give it all to christ so that they can live a life that was pleasing to god because they knew that that was the important thing they knew that was what was important and we've taken that for granted After Constantine became the first Christian Roman emperor and he started to enforce uh, laws to make Christianity uh, the national religion, to ban the worship of idols, to do all these things, Christianity started to slow down, started to change, started to dwindle. And it didn't have that vigor and power that it had behind it beforehand when it was still in persecution. In parts of the world where it's illegal to be a Christian, where people are killed for being Christians, Christianity flourishes because they're relying on Christ, not on their government. They know their government is going to kill them. They know that if they step out the door, they can be killed at any second. They're not worried about what the man can do. They're worried about God what God is going to do, what God has already done for them, so that they can go through this life and realize what Christ has in store. The more I learn about Jesus, the more I know that what he says he's going to do, he's going to do. The more I know of what he's done for me, I know what he can do still. The more I rely on him, the more I trust in him, the more I realize that man cannot give or take away the joy and beauty of following Christ. No matter what God gives me, it's God's to give me. No matter what God has planned for me, God has it planned for me. It doesn't matter what some law says. It doesn't matter what some politician says. It matters what God says. And when we put our lives in his hands, rather than the hands of man, then we're putting our hands in the best, or we're putting our ourselves in the best possible hands. And this politics is not something that I do enjoy talking about um, publicly. Um, I do so more now because people have taken this kind of uh, um, political stance on healthcare issues and I happen to be a avid supporter of science and medicine and I feel like to completely dismiss it on uh, political grounds and then claim that they're religious grounds when religion... Christianity in general would not uh, forsake these things, especially since the writer of the book of Luke and the book of Acts, two of the uh, most complete histories of Jesus's and the apostle's life, was a doctor. I don't think that uh, Jesus would have the same hesitation against medicine. Especially since he was a healer himself. I don't think he would want people to walk around sick just because they uh, wanted to. I don't think that he would want people to just lay around and uh, shun every advance in medicine Just so that they could uh, talk about how faithful they were to God when God is not being uh, trusted in, but a man is being trusted in, and they're just calling him God. Whether that's reality, how they really feel, or just my understanding of it, I'm not sure, but... It doesn't take away from the fact that um, there's a story, like a little parable type thing that um, I've heard more than one time. It's probably like a cliche uh, preacher story, but it's about um, there's a guy and he's in a flood and he's in the middle of the water. And he's just screaming. He's like, God, please send me help. So God sends somebody in a boat and they say, hey, do you need some help? And he says, no, no, God's got me. So the guy drives off. He says, okay. Uh, Next, somebody comes up in another boat and he says, hey, do you need help? And he says, no, no, God's got me. God's got me. And then somebody comes in a helicopter and he uh, lets down the ladder and he's like, do you need help? I'm here to help you. And the guy says, no, no, God's got me. God's got me. And then eventually he is unable to keep paddling and he drowns. And when he gets to heaven, he goes in front of God and says, God, I prayed and I trusted you to save me from drowning and you didn't. And God replies, what are you talking about? I sent two boats and a helicopter. And I think that's kind of how we are when it comes to certain medical things. I understand being uh, cautious about putting things in your body, but I don't think that this is something that's uh, for, this is not a religious concern or a political concern. This is a medical concern. This is something that is serious. This is something that I personally know has people who have died from COVID. I personally know people who have uh, gotten it and gotten sick. I know people who have gotten very sick. It's something that I don't think of as being, uh, it's not fake. It's not a political agenda. Whether they use it for that or not is another story, but it is not a political thing. This is something that happens regularly. This is the nature of viruses. This is the nature of uh, disease. This is something that happens And it's something that can be prevented. And um, reading about uh, the Spanish influenza of 1918 and looking at the parallels is scary. Not only seeing from the other side, like, what happens when it ends, but seeing that some of the same things that we're putting into place now, like... uh, how certain politicians are trying to sweep it under the rug or act like it's not real or act like it's this or that. How many people died in the places where they were in charge and seeing how that's kind of a, uh, how that led people who would have otherwise possibly been okay are dead. Is A tragedy. So I hope I haven't uh, interjected too many of my own opinions in this. Um, I wanted to be factual. I wanted to be biblical above all things. And I wanted to get this message the way that Christ laid it on my heart to you guys. I hope I've done okay. I hope I haven't really made anybody mad, but I've always found myself under the uh, with the idea that if I read the entire Bible and I don't find something that makes me uncomfortable, then I'm probably not reading it the right way. If I go through the entire Bible and I trust that it is the Word of God who is the holiest of all holies and me as a sinner man does not feel a little bit put off and uncomfortable by some of the things that are in there, then I probably am worshiping myself. So, um, I hope that this has been helpful and it hasn't caused more division. I hope that this has been, um, I, I tried to, um, you know, explain this from a place of love and compassion instead of a place of, um, Anything else, I have no um, hard feelings or any ill will towards anybody. I really just want to um, be true to the biblical text to explain um, it as it relates to where we're living now and to kind of just hopefully bring some peace to people um, that may be on the fence of about certain things. And like I said, I do not like talking about politics. It's something that's more divisive than it is uniting. But every single commentary I read, everything that I felt in my heart was leading me to this particular topic. And I hope... I was able to uh, clearly deliver it. And I just want to thank everybody for uh, listening, for being here, and for uh, for continuing to support me in all of this. And I want to pray for everybody uh, right now. Oh, Heavenly Father, allow us to... Cling to you more tightly. Allow us to see your hand at work when we wanna put our hands in the way. Help us to see what you're doing in our lives so that we don't try to make the wrong moves. Help us to see how your hand is at play in places where it looks like your hand is gone. Help us to see what you have planned for our lives that you love us, that you care for us, and that you have every good intention for us. Help us to continue to cling to you and only you, not political parties, not leaders, not government, not anything other than you. Help us to study your word, help us to dig deep, and help us to continue to grow in our relationships with you. Help us to experience these beatitudes. Help us to have these blessings in our lives and to be able to walk humbly with you. And we thank you for all that you do. And we love you and praise you. And it's in your Holy Son's name, Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.